before we get started this morning praying for people, um, I want to pray first for our uh, friends who don't know Jesus, that you will invite them to church for one of our four Christmas, Christmas Eve. We put that in quotation marks because two of them are not on Christmas Eve day or on the 23rd, not the 24th. But I'm going to pray that you'll invite them and that they'll come. I'm going to pray second that the spirit of Jesus will absolutely fill this place that we'll know that he's here among us, that God is with us. He's our Emmanuel. And third, I want to pray that God will give our leadership um, just wisdom in knowing how to best present Jesus this Christmas season. I think we want to do that tastefully, convincingly, and and, uh, really poignantly. And so if you would bow your head, we're going to pray. If you're new and that's unfamiliar territory for you, you're welcome to just drop your head and sit silently and and just help me go to God for this Christmas season. Father, we know that some people visit a church only a couple times a year. And so really our, our window of opportunity is very small. And so I just pray that because people are open, because they're, they're willing to do something different in a season where 45% of Americans um, would prefer not to celebrate our blue-er, God, that, that hope might come in the form this year of an invitation from a Mill Church member or attender. I just pray, God, that we would sincerely ask you for guidance in who to approach and who to invite to church. If there's someone new to the area, if there's someone that's especially lonely, if there's someone that's grieving the loss of of a loved one, if there's a neighbor that we're becoming acquainted with, I just pray, Lord, that you would give those who call this place home courage. I pray that you would give them a willingness to step out and be bold and invite somebody to church. And we pray, Lord, that those that we invite would come. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place on the 23rd at our regular worship times at 8.30 and 10 o'clock. We pray, Lord, that on the 24th at 4 and 5.30, that you would fill this place, that we would sense your nearness. God, that we would look forward to being in your presence. And we pray that you'd give our team an ability to communicate through music and through the word, your great, vast love for everyone who will be here. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. One more thing before we get started. Um, I want to pass around a clipboard, a couple clipboards, actually. Both of them need to go down uh, both sides sides of the uh, aisle. We don't schedule volunteers for either the 23rd or the 24th. Excuse me, we have some already scheduled for the 23rd, but we don't schedule those for Christmas Eve in particular because um, it's just we don't want to bum you out by just sending you a, a, a notification that says you're scheduled for Christmas Eve. Um, however, 
If you have a willingness to serve on Christmas Eve, you're like Denny and Linda. I'm going to be here anyway. I'll greet at the door. I'll make coffee. Um, I'll, I'll serve in some capacity. You'll see the needs that we have for both the 23rd and the 24th. So I want to invite you to look over these clipboards, take your time with them, and maybe pick out something that will work for you and, and consider writing your name down and helping us. We would very much appreciate that. Isaiah chapter 9, if you turn there, please. Um, one of the things that they didn't cover when I was uh, going through premarital counseling with Shannon 10 years ago now, um, maybe even 11 when we were engaged, um, was, was the difficulty of choosing a name for your children once you start having them. They didn't really discuss that. They didn't tell us that would be a point of contention between us two. Um, and indeed, uh, it was. Because we've done it four times now, um, the process can absolutely test your relationship with your spouse, naming a kid, um, and in particular us, because I love very unusual names, and Shannon loves very normal names. And you can tell uh, who wears the pants in our family by observing that our children have very normal names, okay? Um, but we would get into it. And there are all these rules that nobody ever tells you about when it comes to naming kids. For example, um, if you or your spouse ever dated someone with a certain name, that name is absolutely off limits when it comes to naming your kids. That's something you learn when you're going through the process. Um, you also learn that if your spouse had somebody that picked on them in grade school and that memory is engraved in their minds, that that's a name that you don't pick to, to use in naming your your kids, um, you can't even, you know, when it comes to a dating name that you've had in the past, you can't even use that with a dog. Anybody notice that? You try to even go that route and they won't allow it. So we go through this process um, and, and then you get into like the first and last name combinations that just don't really mesh well. You discover, depending on what your last name is, for example, if your last name is Mann, Mann, M-A-N-N, Marshfield has a, has a Mann Road, um, you wouldn't want to name your little girl Anita, right? <laughs> Just think about that for a minute. You wouldn't want her to go through life declaring, Anita Mann, Anita Mann. You see how that could be a problem. So here's some other actual and unfortunate name com uh, combinations. Uh, someone once named uh, their daughter Eileen Wright. Eileen Wright. Um, some conversations can kind of start off on the wrong foot when you introduce yourself as Eileen Wright, right? Um, another word, one is Lois Price. Lois Price. Um, just imagine going on the Price is Right and being called down named Lois Price. Like, wouldn't that be something? Um, here's another one uh, for you. There's one lady, Helen, who married a guy whose last name was Back. Can you imagine being on a UPS route to that home, Right? Looks like the next package goes to Helen back. That's not good, okay? And maybe the funniest name that I read about, um, the name com combination, 
is one lady was named Keisha May, first and middle, and her last name was Ash. Keisha May Ash. Okay, I'm going to let you figure that out. If you just think about that for a minute or two, I'm not going to spell it out or explain it on a Sunday morning. Okay. Names are important. Names are important. And Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would have four of them. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. This morning we're going to look at Everlasting Father. Um, I think all of these names, by the way, absolutely address problems that we're facing in our time. I would suggest to you, if there's anything we need in a Savior, any relationship that needs to be restored, redeemed, it's an everlasting Father. Some of you would say, um, I've got a great dad. Your memory of him is fond. It's a cherished one. But for many of you, you didn't have a relationship or a good one with your, with your dad. Perhaps some of the greatest pain in your life comes from the relationship that you either did or didn't have with your father. Maybe he was never there. Maybe he abandoned you when you were very little. Maybe you've never met him. Maybe it wasn't even his fault. Maybe he died early um, in the war by accident. Um, maybe there were pivotal times in your life where you really needed him to be there and he had already passed. Um, maybe he was always physically present but never emotionally present and available to you. Um, that's one of my biggest fears personally as as a dad myself is that, they, that I'm going to be known as the guy who is always there but yet never there thought just terrifies me. Um, I don't want to be, in other words, so busy with projects and pastoral care and technology that I miss being with emotionally my own kids, that I, that I skip them in terms of attention. Maybe all you can remember is how disappointed your dad always seemed to be in you. Um, maybe it's even the kind of relationship that when you call home and he sees the caller ID, that he lets your mother pick up the phone. And you're aware of that. And that breaks your heart. He doesn't know how to have a meaningful conversation with you. Maybe a bridge has been burned. Um, even in a church this small, I know that some of you have had dads who were physically abusive. Um, it's possible that someone here was even sexually abused by, of all people, your dad. And so for a myriad of reasons, um, for some, the idea of Jesus being our everlasting father just doesn't do it for us. It just doesn't connect. 
Um, one guy named Jonathan Edwards, not the, the Puritan J- Jonathan Edwards, but a present-day Jonathan Edwards, wrote an article published by the Gospel Coalition, and he said this, I was 25 years old before I could say the word Father while praying because of the kind of relationship or lack thereof that I have with my dad. It didn't roll off of my tongue the way it did many of my Christian friends. How come I could go to God without fear when, I, or excuse me, how could I come to God without fear when I had been scared to go home whenever dad was there? How could I understand God's love and faithfulness when dad left town because he, was, he loved something or someone more than me? How can God be a mighty fortress of protection when dad hit me instead of hugged me? See, tragically, our relationship with dad ends up powerfully shaping our understanding of God. I uh, read what I'm about to share with you and was absolutely stunned. Sociologist Vern Bingston says in his book, Families of Fate, that studies conclusively show that the quality of the child's relationship with the father is the single most important factor in whether the child adopts the faith of his or her parents. Single most, if you're a Christian and a dad, your relationship with your child is a single most important factor on whether or not your child becomes a Christian. It's blown away by that. Eric, a guy by the name of Eric Metaxas, pointed out that almost all of the famous atheists in the modern era, Freud, Nietzsche, uh, Bertrand Russell, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, and others, all had one thing in common, an absentee dad. Or a traumatic relationship with their dad. Sigmund Freud himself said, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. How many of you know YPKs? Have you ever heard that acronym? Pastors, kid, took on so much of a negative connotation because for decades, pastors were so devoted to their craft that they neglected their families. Millennials, in in this respect especially, have it together in that they're understanding that in order to take best care of their church, they need to take best care of their families. Furthermore, national statistics show that 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless Homes, 71%. 75% of teenagers in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. One of these studies claimed almost, a quote, every social ill faced by America's children is related to fatherlessness, end quote. A focus on the family study 
done just a few years back showed that if a child, this is another one that absolutely shocked me, if a child is the first one to come to faith, to believe in Jesus in a family, let's say you bring your neighbor, boy or girl, to church and he meets Christ and becomes a Christ follower, the chances of his whole family becoming Christ followers because that kid became a Christ follower, you know what they are? Three and a half percent chance that the whole family will become a Christian. If the mother is invited by one of you on Christmas Eve and the mother becomes a Christian, guess what chance there is for the whole family to become a Christian if the mother is the first one? 17% chance. About five times as likely. If the father, you invite your neighbor who's a father, is the first one in the home to faith, the chances of the whole family becoming Christians, it's a 93 percent chance. It just makes me want to weep. The responsibility that we have as men to be an example of our everlasting Father has a profound impact on the future of our kids. A California study noted that 98% of discipline issues were caused by emotionally damaged young boys whose common characteristic was the loss of a dad. So this morning... We're going to, normally this time of year, we're talking about wise men and shepherds. Um, and we're going to just dive into a little bit of sociology. And I want to um, just highlight four types of father wounds that you may have. Okay? And we're going to show you how Jesus came to heal each and every one of them. This may bring up uh, some painful memories, by the way, um, but I want to encourage you to stick with me if you're able. I'm not trying to just dredge up the past for the sake of that. Um, What I'm trying to do is give Jesus an opportunity to step in and heal and for us to clearly distinguish the difference between bad fathers and our everlasting father. Because the chasm is vast. And just a quick theological point, if in in the context of this sermon, I call Jesus our Father, that's not heresy, okay? I'm not saying that, I'm I'm not confusing the the Godhead, the members of the Trinity. I'm not saying he switches places with his Father. Um, What I mean is that in relationship to us as children, Jesus is our Father, okay? Even though you're right, he has a father who's also a part of the Trinity along with the Holy Spirit. So here's the first one. First kind of dad wound is that left by the never satisfied dad. Did you have one of those? This is the dad who, no matter what you did, he never seemed to be proud of you. He wasn't unkind, he wasn't abusive. Um, He just never used the words, I'm so proud of you, which are the words that kids absolutely what? They crave. 
I read a story of a girl who was first in her family to go to college. She received 4.0, grade point average. She received honors. um, And she dreamt that on her graduation day, her dad would arrive and would kind of part a sea of people and would say to her for the first time in her life, I'm proud of you. You're my girl. Instead, he parted the crowd, and she's anticipating, uh, hopefully, his acknowledgement of her success. And he pushes through, and he says, it's getting late, honey. It's a long drive home. We better get going. And it absolutely crushed her. And years later, it affected how she performed at her job. It affected what she needed from her husband. It affected her friendships. So for kids that grow up this way, they spend their whole lives trying to prove themselves and it becomes their life purpose and understandably so because they carry this into their relationship with their heavenly father. Because whatever they do in the faith, they have this nagging question in their mind, have I done enough, God, for you to say you're proud of me? I I bet God would be happier if I were a better Christian, says the person with a never-satisfied dad. Have I done enough? If I were only a better wife, and there's this constant comparing of oneself to other people. If that's you this morning, could you just trust something that I'm about to tell you? Your heavenly father could not be more polar opposite than your earthly dad in this regard. Isaiah 43, 4 says this. We as God's children are precious in his eyes. That is a strong word. Precious to him. Isaiah 49, 15 tells us that that our heavenly father pays closer attention to us than a mother pays to her newborn infant. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I don't know about you, uh, gentlemen, but my wife knows every little nuance about each one of our child's physical bodies. She knows where the freckle is. She knows where the birthmark is. She knows which child's toes are round and which ones are slender. She can tell you all that stuff. And the scriptures tell us, even as mothers sometimes forget, I will not, God will not forget us. That is profound. He knows us intimately. Um, And I would point out to you that Isaiah uses motherhood for an example. Isn't that ironic that he uses motherhood as an example to show us how great of a dad he is instead of fatherhood? He can't even use fatherhood as an example to show what a great father God is. Zephaniah 3.17 
the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I mean, how many of you dads, is there a tissue up here anywhere? Thank you very much. Excuse me. How many of you dads sing about your kids? This is what the Bible's telling us God does about us. Levi, he's so smart, he's so smart, but a bum bum bum. You know, I, I don't I don't do that. Do you do that? This is what God's doing over his children. That's how joyful he is about his kids. Listen to King David reveling in the love of God for him. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where would I go from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in, in hell, that's the Old Testament word for hell, you're there. Truth is, um, we did make our bed in hell. We are sinners. We deserve to go to hell. Jesus rescued us, right? He ran into hell after us. He stole the keys. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Have you ever just ached inside to be special to somebody? I just want you to know that you're special to God. He just loves you. He thinks about you. He knew you when you were in your mother's room. He knew you before he knew you existed before your mother knew you existed. You're valuable to him. His love runs deep for you. And, and before we move on to our second um, dad wound, can I just encourage you dads to be crazy about your kids? If you are a dad, can I just encourage you to be crazy about your kids and, and be at their games beaming with pride and look at their homework and celebrate it when it's good and help them when it's bad? Number two, the time bomb dad. This is a dad you didn't know what you were going to get from. The smallest thing would set him off. Maybe it was even amplified by alcohol or by drugs. And more than once, you got hurt by him. Physically, maybe. 
emotionally, mentally. And it was hard to love him because you were terrified by him or of him. Stephen Poulter wrote this, an incredible number of anxiety disorders have their beginnings in this style of fathering, end quote. For example, kids in this kind of home with a dad that's, you can't read him, you don't know when he's going to blow up. Short fuse dad. They typically become control freaks as adults. Because when dad explodes, their own life crashes, and so this defense mechanism uh, cranks up, and they become hyper-vigilant adults trying to keep things from blowing up before they actually do. It's kind of similar, actually, to PTSD. Um, it's like the, the Pearl Harbor uh, radar system that was, that was in, invented, it could detect movement in the Pacific like up to 5,000 miles away. Some people are just always on alert trying to prevent the next bomb from blowing up. And a lot of that comes back to this kind of dad. And that affects how you see your heavenly father because you have a hard time trusting him. See, you have a hard time leaving things in his hands. Because what if he's in a bad mood today? And so you're hyper-vigilant, trying to stay on his good side. And when something goes wrong, you say, Oh no, what did I do? What did I do? And your heavenly father, I'm, I'm encouraged to tell you, he's not like that dad either. He's not. Psalm 103.8 teaches us this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to what? Slow to anger. Man, any other dads in the room like me, like this just does not describe you. Abounding in steadfast love. How many of us are the opposite? Rebounding in anger and slow to steadfast love. What a shame. The Hebrew in this verse literally means that God has long nostrils, meaning they take time to flare up. He, he breathes through his nose and mouth slowly. He's not like a bull just waiting to charge. And he's ready to forgive us if we just repent to him. Instead of viewing our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father, might I encourage you all this morning to reverse the order understand our earthly dad was supposed to be like a set of, of training wheels teaching us what it would be like to, to ride a smooth bike. But some of us had lopsided training wheels. And so we, we projected our experience with the training wheels into what it would look like to ride a real bike. 
And we perceive that that experience would be a bad ride too. And we've yet to overcome it. The emotionally distant dad, number three. This is the kind of dad who never expressed emotion, never made you feel special. One author wrote this fathering style made up approximately 50% of nuclear families between 1945 and 1980. These were the leave it to beaver dads. Dad was there, but dad understood that his role was to provide for the family He understood that moms were the ones that were to be emotional and meet those needs of the children. Dad never said things, especially three things, that children so desperately need to hear. I love you. I'm proud of you. And you are so good at fill in the blank. Do you know that Bo Jackson, who some would argue is the greatest athlete of all time, played both professional baseball and football, said this about his dad. Here I am, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting in the locker room and envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and talk and have a drink with them after the game. I never experienced that his dad never attended a game. This is the theme of every Tom Cruise movie of the 80s. Poulter said kids who grew up in an environment like this not only developed a healthy relationship with their dads, they often struggle to develop a healthy relationship with others because they've never learned to open up emotionally, not with their spouses, not with their kids. They don't really have close friends. Even when they go through pain, they tend to go through it alone, and the cycle just continues to repeat. You need to know, if you have an emotionally distant dad, that your heavenly father is not like that. The Heavenly Father, he's, he's like the dad in Jesus' parable. Do you remember about the prodigal son? Do you know this story? Every day, he looks out the window. He sits by the door. He's waiting on his boy to return home. The boy's squandering his inheritance. He's morally um, lascivious in his living and and just out there making all kinds of entertainment decisions based on himself. And the dad's just looking over the hilltop, just waiting to celebrate his return. He cannot find joy until his boy returns home. That's our father. He's not emotionally distant from you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to celebrate you. He wants to see you return to him. And before I move on to our last one, if I could just say this to you dads, maybe the most significant thing that you could do for your kids is be close to them, connected to them emotionally. Your role is not only to provide for the needs of the family. Your role is not just to make money. 
I was encouraged by a pastor recently appraised in his driveway at the end of every single work day before entering home because he knows that from 5 until 10 o'clock, that is the window where he's needed the most. Where his energy carries the most long-term value. We dads are to be present, we're to be nurturing, we're to be playful, we're to be active. Do not be the Christian dad that feels that their job is done with food and shelter. I mean, is that really the standard of fatherhood? Food and shelter? I mean, don't like possums provide food and shelter for their kids? There's got to be more. Number four, the absentee father, the dad who just wasn't there. On average, 40% of children in America live in fatherless homes. And here's what happens. Kids often interpret the absentee uh, nature of the father as their own personal rejection. They are not worth it. They're not valuable. Counselors say this turns into adulthood sadness, loneliness, a nagging fear that even life's good things might eventually what? Walk out the door. Just like dad did. And for many fatherless boys, I was surprised to to learn this. In the absence of a father figure, they become angry. They weren't shown healthy masculinity, so they try to prove it. Masculinity that's not healthy by rebellion and aggression and sexual prowess and even violence and gang activity. They gravitate towards skewed, unhealthy masculinity because they never saw a role model of healthy masculinity. They were never wrestled with. They were never shown strength under control. They never understood how strength ought to be harnessed in such a way that it blesses and protects. They only learn strength by domination, by overachieving girls who are fatherless. It works itself out in that they lack confidence. They often don't respect themselves. They often look for attention every other place because they did not receive it from dad. And as I hope you've seen by now, our theme is... Jesus is the opposite. He's invested. He's present. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never what? Leave you or forsake you. And you know what that Greek word uh, translated never means? It means never, ever. God does not leave us. If, you're, if you've spurned him, he doesn't leave. If, if you've walked away from him, he doesn't walk away from you. If you've made your bed in hell, he takes it. He waits for you to return. And he's unable to experience joy until you're back. Let me say this in conclusion. Far from from using us for his own pleasure, God 
allowed himself in Jesus to be abused for our benefit. In fact, railroad spikes were nailed into his hands and feet and all Jesus prayed was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Does it sound like somebody who's slow to anger? What is the big point, Pastor? The big point somebody needs to hear this. Jesus is the kind of dad that you have always wanted. Even if you had a good one, I had a great one. He disappointed me at times. Jesus doesn't. And here's another great truth. Your earthly dad, no matter how good he, he, he was or is, he's going to, if he hasn't already, die one day. You're not going to have him around. George W. Bush understands that well right now. Great dads even aren't available forever. Aren't you grateful that Isaiah in his description used the word everlasting father. Not only is God good, but he's available to us for an eternity. And I pray that once we realize that our wounds can begin to heal, that our experience with an earthly father was temporary, but our experience says with an amazing dad are eternal. And if, by the way, you feel like you're a, a failure as a dad or have failed as a dad, welcome to the club. Um, the very best action for us is, is dads that feel like we failed moving forward. Do you know what it is? It's actually apologizing to your kids. Nothing can move the needle of your relationship closer to where it needs to be than you saying you're sorry. It doesn't matter if it's days ago or decades ago. It can be a beautiful time of restoration. This last summer, Shannon was um, taking our, our three-year-old Nora to swim lessons. I, I, don't, I don't have, I'm, I just realized I'm looking at the wrong clock. Forgive me. Um, I want to bring this to a close. And, and Nora fell down and she skinned her hands and, and she began crying uncontrollably. I wasn't there. It was in Abbotsford at the pool at the high school there in the parking lot. And Nora, um, we knew this about her. She has this thing where she 
um, when she cries, she cries very hard. She exhales in crying, but she doesn't inhale. And so her face began to turn blue. And like she's done a number of times, she, she passed out. And we know this about her. We know that she comes to in, a, in, in just a few seconds, but she didn't come to. And after 30 seconds or so had passed, she was still um, out. And she started having what appeared to be a seizure on the ground. And, and Shannon is terrified. And the other kids are around her. And, and uh, great, gratefully, um, Shannon just held her and began talking into her ear. And, uh, and she kept, sorry, I don't know why I'm an emotional mess this morning. I just can't get it together, man. It's embarrassing. She finally came to. She came to and um, turns out, we went to the ER, turns out she's got breath-holding spells, which in her case sometimes is accompanied by these things called anoxic seizures. Uh, some kids turn white in the face, others turn blue in the face. It's kind of rare, but it's completely <laughs> normal. We're told, and you just live through it and they grow out of it, okay? It was absolutely, while harmless, terrifying. And what I want to say is, is maybe that's you today as a, as a kid. Um, maybe your knees are bloodied and your hands are, are, are skint and your elbows um, scratched and maybe it's hard to get your breath at times and, and maybe nobody in this room knows your pain. Here's what I want to, want to reassure you of in closing. When you go running and screaming, uh, you fall, you scream, you jump into the arms of an everlasting father who's going to hold you and who's going to whisper in your ear and calm you and give you peace and will never, ever let you go. That's the promise we have. We sing that song, good, good father, it's because he's good. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would understand this morning that some of our dads were a poor example of the heavenly Father that you are. And rather than shaming them for it and beating them up for it, I pray, God, that we would just be sensitive and learn to forgive them. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to distinguish them from you. And I pray that we would be able to open up and accept your acceptance of us and flower emotionally, mentally under your care as our dad. In Jesus' name, amen.